Welcome to Don't Read Drunk, a podcast about books and booze. I'm Jenny, and I'll be your host. Hi, we are back with episode 66 today, and I am really excited to share Finding Me, a memoir by Viola Davis. I'm still keeping on theme with gratitude through both my life and the books that I've been reading. Reading this memoir definitely helped put a great perspective on my life, especially coming into the holidays. I was concerned that this Christmas wasn't going to be as exciting for my sons as far as gifts go. Money has been tight, and I usually gift him some clothes, but he couldn't wait for some new clothes. So he got a lot of new clothes last month, and he's pretty well covered. Thankfully, my last paycheck was a little bit more than I was expecting to be, and that helped things a bit. My son isn't greedy, and he's a good kid, so he would totally understand. But I still like to give him things since he is such a good kid. There are still going to be less gifts under the tree than normal, but I don't think he'll be disappointed. This memoir, however, helps me put things in an even different perspective. I do want to gift my child with things that make him happy, but being a supportive, active presence in his life is even more important. Both of us have so much to be thankful for, and the time that we spend together with our family and with other loved ones is what's most important. The experiences that we have together are what is truly important, not the things that we have. And around the holidays, we have so many great things planned with our family. We have two cookie-making sessions planned with my son's sisters, my bonus daughters. We make it a tradition each year to make cookies, so we have a set of recipes that we need to make each year. Grandma also frosts cookies with my son every year, so he's going to get plenty of cookie-making time in. And he made cookies last weekend with his other grandma, so plenty of cookie time. As I've said before, I don't celebrate the religious reasons behind the holiday, but I do love making sure that we continue some special traditions that were important to me as a child that I'm now able to share and pass down to my children. Not everyone has the family that I do. My son's father is one of those people, so it's a great time to recognize how thankful I am for the incredible family, both immediate and extended, that I have in my life. For the booze this week, Davis is not a big drinker. She mentioned several times in her book that she never drank a lot, and so there wasn't really anything that jumped out at me as a pairing for this book. I thought about doing a champagne or sparkling wine to toast Davis's success in the Tonys, Oscars, and Golden Globes that she's won. Instead, I decided to go with a holiday drink that I thought matches the cold weather we're having and that it's the perfect warm beverage to have while I'm sitting on my couch reading a book and enjoying the lights from the Christmas tree and my fake fireplace. That's another thing I've noticed about myself. I call lots of things fake, even though they aren't really fake. And my kid called me out on this because they called a plastic fork a fake fork. (laughs) I also call my tree a fake tree rather than artificial. And I just called my fireplace fake, even though it's just an electric fireplace. (laughs) Hopefully everyone who follows me, if I've called something fake before, then you may have heard that. And that's why. (laughs) But back to the booze. I selected a hot buttered rum for the booze of the week. As I've said before, I'm not a big hard liquor drinker, but every once in a while I like a special mixed drink and it really hits the spot. I made hot buttered rum for myself probably 15 years ago 
because I wanted some while I was watching one of my favorite movies, White Christmas. Though, and this is going to be another tangent here, I was talking to a good friend of mine who listens to this podcast, and we were talking about the age difference in dating and what age is gross and when it's acceptable. I brought up White Christmas because I don't know the age difference offhand, but I was pretty certain it was a crazy difference. We didn't look it up right then, but it turns out Bing Crosby was 51 at the time and Rosemary Clooney was 26. Well, I don't know how old they're supposed to be in the movie. I was thoroughly grossed out by that 25-year age difference. Still love the movie and I'll watch it again, but Seriously, what does a 50-year-old, 51-year-old man have in common with a 26-year-old? I keep telling people I was an idiot in my 20s. I was really figuring out who I was. I was kind of a selfish jerk, selfish jerk. <laughs> and I made some pretty dumb choices. Not that I haven't made dumb choices later on in life too, but my 20s were especially crazy and dumb. <laughs> Sorry again for the tangent there, but I made this hot buttered rum that I thought was awesome. So I've linked the recipe I used to the show notes. This recipe creates a base or a batter for hot buttered rum. I use Captain Morgan spiced rum, but any spiced rum will do. You could even use a plain rum, but I definitely prefer the spiced rum with this recipe. Also, not all hot buttered rum recipes use ice cream, but I prefer the creamier version that's made with ice cream. With this, you can also pick how much rum you add to each drink. I'm totally a lightweight now, especially when it comes to hard liquor. So I only used half a shot in my drink for each drink. (laughs) While others may want to use a double shot per drink, half a shot was perfect for me. And I had two drinks without getting buzzed. And I only made half a recipe for this. It will last me a while unless my family decides they want to indulge while they're visiting over the holidays. Getting directly into the book. As I have done with memoirs in the past, I'm going to skip the author section since kind of the whole book that we're going to discuss is really about the author. As in the past, the whole review will be a bit of a spoiler. So if you don't want to hear spoilers, read the book first, then come back and check out this episode. I certainly won't cover everything that's in the book. So I think even if you listen, the book will still be really excellent and worth listening to or worth reading. My review isn't just a SparkNotes version of the book. There's so much more incredible content to listen to. If you aren't aware, Viola Davis is an actress, most notably playing Annalise Keating in the TV show, How to Get Away with Murder. I'm going a bit backwards here, but I've seen Davis in other things too, such as The Help and Eat, Pray, Love. But it wasn't until How I Got Away with Murder that I truly saw her, loved her, and admired her. This is also when she really came into her own as an actress. When she was being looked at for the role of Annalise Keating, Davis thought there was no way she was going to get the role because there hadn't been a role like that for a Black woman ever on network television. Davis talks a lot about being a dark-skinned Black woman and how it's been a challenge because she's never seen as beautiful or sexual. Annalise Keating was this strong, intelligent, and sexual character. Davis never thought she would get it. I cannot imagine anyone better for that role, and watching the series makes me feel that Davis truly made it her own. This is the media recommendation for the week, even though it's been years since the show ended. Go watch How to Get Away with Murder if you haven't. It truly holds the test of time, and there is nothing like Davis's acting in the show. It's incredible. 
one of the moments that hit me in the show was when Davis takes off her wig. In the memoir, Davis said she insisted that scene be in the first episode. Even as a white woman, this scene still hits me emotionally. Such a powerful moment for Black women and Davis as she takes ownership of herself as a complicated and sexual being. It's a moment of see me and see all of me. That's also what this memoir is. It's Davis's ownership of herself and each and every experience she's had in her life. I listened to this unscribed and Davis reads the memoir herself. I was talking to a friend, the same friend that we were talking about, White Christmas and age differences. And we were talking about this in comparison with Jeanette McCurdy's memoir, I'm Glad My Mom Died. Both authors read their own memoirs, and I think they were both incredible in their own way. I hate to compare, but it's also very clear to see that McCurdy is still in the midst of her growth and healing. It's still very raw for her. Davis, on the other hand, has gone through therapy. She's lived, and she's truly found herself and embraced every aspect of her life and how it made her the woman that she is today. I loved her cadence and enthusiasm as she read. I could not stop listening to her compelling story and her incredible voice. When I did have to stop, I couldn't wait to get back to it. She sounds so happy recalling the stories of playing with her sisters and the bond that they shared. Even when she's recounting the difficult memories, there's just something in her voice that is undeniable. She owns every moment of her past, despite how shamed and embarrassed she felt at the time. Her personality comes through so clearly. She is incredibly passionate, thoughtful, caring, empathetic, and tenacious. She starts her memoir with a recollection of a conversation with Will Smith, and he asks her who she really is. That despite all the years that have passed, the healing that's been done, and the growth that has happened, who is she really at her core? And she recalls that she is still a bullied, poor, starving, and unattractive little eight-year-old black girl. It's not a pity party. I love that recognition of who she was and what, at the time, she never got over. Her childhood is heart-wrenchingly broken. Davis talks often about the one-two punch of being poor and black. And these are two things that I can't relate to. But Davis does an incredible job of bringing the reader into her life and relating how these things impacted her life. As I've been talking about gratitude that I have, Davis herself has so much gratitude despite how she grew up. The hard part is realizing that while Davis has survived this and thrived, achieving a level of success that only a very small percentage of people do, that her family still struggles. That there are countless numbers of children who are living this life right now and close enough to many of us that we may see them on any given day and not even recognize the life they are living. It's what people talk about in true crime, awareness. So let's bring awareness to this situation. Davis calls out a lot of things that need to be changed. We have not come far enough in our fight against systematic racism, poverty, and fighting pedophilia since the 60s and 70s. We need to do more and we need to do better. Davis describes growing up in a small apartment with her siblings where there was never enough food and the rats were incessantly around. She describes wetting the bed until she was 14. 
partially because they didn't want to get up in the middle of the night with the rats aggressively taking over the house in the dark. They didn't even have the lights to turn on to frighten the rats away. She and her sisters wrapped sheets around their neck to protect themselves from rats so they wouldn't try to bite their necks as they tried to sleep. It just shows her strength that she shared that she wet the bed for so long, despite the incredible shame that came with it at the time. It's something that I would have never thought about, but that makes sense as she explains the why behind it and the fear behind it. A common saying now is that hurt people hurt other people. This is part of what Davis says she experienced in her life. Her father was abusive to her mother and cheated on her multiple times. She tells a story of her mother being abused by her family, that at three years old, her mother was left with her younger siblings while the rest of the family was out working. A fire broke out and her mother's younger sister died. The parents blamed their three-year-old child that they had left alone for this accident that took the life of the younger girl. Davis talks about the shame and guilt that her mother carries of that time, not even realizing that her parents were the ones to blame. Generational trauma weighs heavily on Davis, as well as so many other poor minorities. This is still a relatively new idea that some people don't even recognize as a legitimate issue, but it is a real concept, and it seemed to flow all through Davis as well as her immediate family. Davis recounts sexual abuse that she endured as well as her sisters and those around her, her brother being one of those abusers. It's almost a footnote in the story, barely mentioned that he was an abuser, It seems to Davis that this was just a small part of the already incredible unfairness of her life. She recounts stories of teachers whom she just wanted to love her, and instead they shamed her and her sisters and turned a blind eye to their suffering. One of the more beautiful moments of the memoir is when her older sister tells her that she's going to be a teacher so that no student has to endure the humiliation that they did. The girls went through phases with their home life where it became too much for them to be successful at school, where they performed poorly because they were starving or exhausted, and other times they excelled. Davis talks about her father only having a fifth grade education and her mother not much better, but the kids are smart, and when they are able to overcome the horror of their home life, are exceptional students. Davis's experience is unfortunately not uncommon and important for that awareness piece. So many people that are in my sphere, I know don't understand and comprehend how hard it is for poor black students to overcome their home life and their generational trauma to succeed. It isn't for lack of intelligence. It's how life is stacked against them that holds them down. And if all of these things aren't enough, They are further traumatized at the tragic and gruesome loss of their pets. At one point, their dog is poisoned and they watch him suffer in pain until he is put down, and it seems like he was likely intentionally poisoned. Another, their cat is killed in front of them by a man who has gone crazy from his PTSD. It was traumatic enough for me when my pets died as a child. I can't imagine how it affects a child to see these traumatic events. It is as a child that Davis joins an acting competition with her sisters that she first gets the acting bug. She finds her acceptance in acting and knows this is what she wants to do in her life. Though, when she first goes to college, she plans to be a teacher. And I love that when she tells the part of this story, she describes a deep depression that 
is almost immediately lifted when she changes her major. There is such a beautiful message in this that we must follow our passions. I think there's so much sadness and depression in life that can be fixed by recognizing and honoring our passions. In a way, Davis is fortunate that she has been so incredibly successful in her passion, but it was a long, hard road for her. As I've said, this is one of my passions. It's not a source of income, unfortunately, (laughs) and isn't my job, but it had so much value to my life. There's a book that I want to read, so I can only mention this to the title. I don't really know the details, but where it just seems like there's truth just in the title. And it's called Your Art Will Save Your Life by Beth Pickens. It also makes me think of Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Gilbert may be controversial, but Big Magic was an exceptional book and speaks to exactly what Davis is saying here. Davis is honest about her struggles. She's very transparent that success is nearly impossible as an actor. She talks about a point in her life when she was a struggling actor and she was eating rice, chicken wings, and herring to survive. I was always more privileged than she was, and I absolutely recognize this. But I do think a lot of people can relate to those thin times. During the times when I didn't have a whole lot of money, I was living off of fried egg sandwiches and spaghetti noodles with barbecue sauce. (laughs) I was also working at a restaurant at the time, so I could eat all the bread and soup I wanted while I was working. During that time, I also ate a lot of bread with butter and soup. (laughs) Every once in a while, the cooks would take pity on us and accidentally make too many french fries so the servers could snack on them too. Davis became a cast member of the Broadway show Seven Guitars, and that's when she truly felt successful. She was able to survive, but living in New York City is expensive and she still struggled. Finally, she ended up getting regular steady work, though her minimal success was also a challenge. She admits that while she wanted to help her family monetarily, it takes away their accountability to themselves and can often hinder more than help them. She recounts the struggles of her siblings and that her family continued to live in poverty. At one point, an agent tells her that she's got good parents. After listening to her share her home life, it isn't something that I would have said about them at all. The agent says, I've seen a lot of parents. Yours just truly want to see you happy. Davis realizes that while her parents were imperfect, she truly believes that they were doing the best that they could at the time with the weight of their own generational trauma and the world on their shoulders. And as a testament to the fact that people can change, Davis shares that her father changed. As she stated, I think he became that he became a better person as a way to ask forgiveness for how he treated us when we were children. He stops drinking as much. He stops beating his wife, whom at one time Davis thought he would someday kill with a beating, and he becomes a supportive, loving grandfather to the grandchildren that he brings into his home to raise. It's a reminder to us that people are not all good or all bad. There's a lot of heaviness in that man's life that made him do what he did. I am not at all excusing his actions, but I'm lightened by the changes that he finally made in his life. When her father passes away, there are 14 people living in the condemned apartment building that Davis grew up in. While Davis should be celebrated for her successes, it's also a recognition of the need for awareness once again. She's one story of success among millions of people that are stuck in that life. 
while the American dream tells us we just need to work hard and we'll find success, life is so much more complicated than that. And it's something that we need to work to change. I was invested in Davis's story so that when she talked about her husband, Julius, and the love they share, I nearly cried in happiness for her. She was in her 30s and expecting to be alone forever when they met. After all she'd overcome, I truly wanted this love for her. Relationships are complicated, and I don't know a lot of happily married people, but they seem to have a truly beautiful and successful love story. While Davis talks about how small the odds are of finding success as an actor, I also wonder what the success rate is of truly happy marriages. Seems like she's been fortunate in more than one area, and I'm truly happy for her. Though hearing her story, there is no jealousy of any of her success on my part. Davis truly seems like someone who deserves this happiness. She's someone that you root for. There's so many beautiful relations, revelations that Davis had that reverberated in me and within my life. This was an incredibly moving and beautiful memoir that will stay with me for a long time. I give this one five out of five. Goodreads gives it a 4.59. One reviewer said, quote, this has got to be my favorite read of the year. I loved Viola Davis before, but now I'm in love with her. The immense respect and admiration I have for her is deep, and I completely agreed with this one. Quote, an honest, unflinching, and utterly brilliant account of how one of the best actors of our time became who she is today. Another review said, quote, the memoir is like a conversation with Viola Davis. It doesn't have any real structure, and I don't feel like I learned anything inspiring. As far as a book for Black women, it's not. This is one of those stories for white people and white people of any or people of any other race to understand how hard some black people have had it. I think the book had structure to it, honestly, and I also think it was like a conversation with Davis, but that's one of the reasons I loved it. Since I'm not a black woman, I can't really comment on her thoughts about it not being for black women. I'm white and I found it inspirational. A comment on this review said that a woman who was dark, a dark-skinned Black woman found it an inspiration. So I would chalk this up as this book, just like every other book, is not for everyone. Another reviewer mentioned that at times it was hard to get through because of the language and the use of the N-word. And I did forget to mention this in my review portion. The language and the use of the N-word struck me and definitely threw me off track at first. I was not expecting it. I think it's valid and important in the telling of Davis's story. This is part of the life that she grew up in. Sanitizing or whitewashing it would definitely take away from her truth. It's in there a lot, so take note. (laughs) In total, I think there is a lot to get out of this book, and it is definitely one of the best books that I've read all year. Media recommendation this week, Big Sky on Hulu. I was first interested in this show because Catherine Winnick stars in it. She is one of my favorite actresses. I first found her in the show Bones and I liked her strong character and thought she was beautiful. Then I saw her in Vikings and she's amazing in that show, which that's another great show for you to watch if you hadn't already. That one is pretty gory, but really well done. So anything Catherine Winnick is in, I like to check out. Big Sky is the story of two friends who wind up working together at a private detective agency. The first season and some of the second are of them breaking up a sex trafficking ring and 
covering corruption in Montana's law enforcement. It's a little formulaic, but it's the type of crime show that I enjoy featuring strong female leads. Thanks again for listening. You could find me on Instagram at don't read drunk. You can email me at don't read drunk at gmail.com or check out my website. Don't read drunk This is a hobby podcast. So you can support me using a one-time donation through PayPal using my email. Don't read drunk at gmail.com. There is no apostrophe in the don't. You can also support this podcast by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com slash don't read drunk. Thank you to my sponsors, Aaron Ruiz at One Up Till Sun Up, who created the music. You can find Aaron and One Up Till Sun Up on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. That's the number one, U-P-T-I-L-S-U-N-U-P. Also, Avenue Coffee House. You can find them on Facebook and at their website, avenue-coffeehouse.com. Also, they recently opened up Supernova Coffee and Donuts, downtown Milwaukee. Next episode, we'll be talking about The Stupidest Angel by Christopher Moore. Bye, and talk to you soon. 